um, just actually just before I start, I forgot last week uh, to bring you a greeting from uh, Christian and Melina and Est Esther and Eskil. So uh, they bring greetings to you. I apologize that it's a week late. Um, and uh, yeah, so they just wanted to say hi and they were planned to to come for the celebrating Christmas, but then everything was closed down. So they still have a desire to come and say hello to us when, just like Emilia said, uh, when things have changed and we are able to do that again. So I just, I wanted to bring that greeting as well. Uh, maybe also just, uh, maybe as I go into the sermon, I can just bring a short testimony of myself uh, um, that uh, yesterday morning I was, I have a group that I run with and um, I for a long time had a hard time figuring out how I can share with those people and I've been in, I've run with two different groups and um, especially the one, I mean, not that the other one is bad, but uh, the one group we we sometimes share and, well, sorry. Okay, just to scrap what I said. I've shared in both, both groups, but um, yesterday I think I was... Uh, and maybe that fits the theme as well. I, I think I was in a humble place with my heart and just asking God before I went out to run if, uh, what should I do um, to share? And it was like, it was like I was um, feeling the, the God was saying, um, why don't you just relax and enjoy the time? And I didn't exactly understand what that meant, but... Uh, I, I guess it, I guess it helped me to not be so focused on like, oh, now I have to share, now I have to share, uh, but just rest in, rest in, in the time and enjoy the time, enjoy the run, enjoy the, the company, and actually it turned out to the, <laughs> it turned out to be the time where I got to share the most, um, and I actually shared some of my sermon there. So if some of them are, are, if you're out there and you're, you're, you are watching. Uh, it would be something I told you yesterday on the run. Because um, you talked about pride and humility and how all those things work together. And, and so that's what we're going to talk about today uh, in Acts 12. Um, you take your Bible and, and turn to Acts 12 and then uh, we can read together. Um, and I just uh, I just encourage, like maybe you have it on your phone, maybe you don't. Uh, just leave it there uh, because... Uh, because it would be good just to have a reference and just just have it all there. Um, um, because I can't, I mean, my, uh, um, what do you call it? <laughs> I can't remember the whole chapter by heart. But So it's good just to have it in front of us. And I titled it the, uh, the Work of an Angel of the Lord and Pride versus Humility. And so we'll get into that and we'll read here. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending that after to pass over to bring him out to the people so that people so Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer 
for him was made by God, to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door, or guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And a chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel. It was a real, but thought he had seen a vision. When they passed through the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord. And when they went out and went along the street, immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, uh, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from the Jewish people who, from what the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mark, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many people were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran, ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the, door, at the gate. But they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And kept saying, it is, um, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter, could, <laughs> Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him. And were amazed. But Peter motioning uh, motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell this to, to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when they came, now when they came, there was no little disturbance, disturbance among the soldiers over what had hap- become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered them that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was, with, was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country were dependent on the king's country for food. Um, on account, uh, oh, on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat among, upon the tr- throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But 
the work of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Um, next slide. <laughs> All right. So on your screen, on your screen, if you can see it, there is um, there's a you can call it a family tree, uh, and where the era goes in is on Herod. And so this King Herod is actually called um, Agrippa the first. Um, his story is kind of actually very interesting. Um, Agrippa was actually raised in Rome. And uh, as many uh, people of uh, nobility or something like that, he, he, and as you can see, he's the grandfather, uh, he is the grand nephew of uh, Herod the king um and, but he's raised in Rome uh and he actually gets into so much trouble and so much debt that he uh he contemplates suicide and also he actually goes to jail for a while and it's actually out of jail that he's taken out of jail by Caligula who becomes who won <laughs> who one of the many people he influenced was some very people of a very high estate, uh, two of whom become uh, Roman emperors. So one of them is Caligula, who gets him out of prison and actually lets him to become a king or a governor over a province. So literally, Herod Agrippa goes from the prison to be the ruler of a big area. So that's just a little background on who who he is. And there's something has happened now in the story because we were reading after Paul became a Christian there was kind of, there was peace and the church has some peace but now we see that it doesn't have peace. Cuz here we see Agrippa who was maybe not the most violent person but he really focused on pleasing the Jews. And he actually he pleases the Jews by persecuting the Christians. And we talk about last time how that at this point in time that Christians has now become a distinct group they're not just a sect of Judaism anymore they have now become a a specific group but that also means that you can be persecuted for being one now and so Herod leaps to that you can see leaps to that uh, um, opportunity and he kills James with a sword um, James get killed by the sword, maybe not as bad as being killed uh, on a cross or worse, being tortured or something. It did make me think about what this verse where, which actually fits in together with today, uh, um, honor versus humility. Um, the disciples many times when they're with Jesus, struggle and ask Jesus about who is the greatest? Who's the greatest among us? Who's the greatest about different things? James and John comes and ask Jesus, uh, could you just say yes to something? And Jesus is like, what are you asking? And it's like, well, we think you're amazing and we think you are going to be a great king. How about you give us the place on your left and your right? And Jesus responds with this from Mark. He says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? 
and be baptized with the baptism uh, with which I'll be baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Now this is actually happening to James. He got killed. He followed in the footsteps of his Lord and Savior, and he lost his head. In the same reference here, in the same exchange, the other disciples get mad, maybe mostly because they didn't ask first. And Jesus says to them, like, you know that the Gentiles lord it over you, but that's not the way if you want to be great. If you want to be great, you've got to be the servant of all. Jesus shows that in his life, death, and resurrection. He shows that being the greatest is being the most humble. He shows that by washing their feet and ultimately shows it to all of us by dying on the cross for the things we have done wrong. Um, and actually a point that we get to later actually becomes a very, very important thing. Um, but we'll take it in its turn. And so when we're looking at when we're looking at the Christian life, and I I think maybe I've I don't know if I've overemphasized it, but especially in this time also, like we're not supposed to be surprised when a trial come upon us. Both Paul and Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes. And what do we do in those things? What do we do when when things don't turn out the way they should or the way we think they should? I listened to a podcast this week about somebody waiting for a God. And she said to her daughter, remember, it's when you're in the most pain and most trouble you have to believe that this is really real, what we believe about who God is. I just thought that was a really good word, that there's no faith at all if we only have faith when everything is fine. It's in the, it's in the suffering in the dark night that we'll experience God like never before. Or we can. He promises to be with us there. So the Christian life so the Christian life is not one of to be safe and comfortable, but it is to follow Jesus' plans for our lives into the abundant life, into that life where we die to ourselves, humble ourselves and follow Jesus into true life. And so my, that might look different than the dream you have or the dream I had for my life. But it's the only one that makes actually makes sense and the perfect, perfect purpose for which we were made. And you might object and say, but I mean, that's hard. You know, I have all these plans for my life. You know, I want to get, I want to get, I want to get my education, maybe a PhD. I want to get a house. I want to get a family. But just so you know, like you were never promised those things. Like we talked about, (laughs) we talked about this uh, in our family, like just how many things we take for granted and then we're disappointed at God because we don't get them. 
I think a lot of the anger and frustration about people saying 2020 was a terrible year was because as as we've just taken so many things for granted. There's really not been a lot of humility among people this year. How many of us praise God for getting up every morning? How many have praised for us for free travel? How many have praised God for not having to wear a mouth uh, thing on your mouth or mask? How many have praised that we could gather together with families and friends and other people? Are we just, is God just revealing these things to us that we can actually appreciate them where we've just taken so many things for granted? In a situation like this or anything, is our first inclination of our heart to accuse God because he's not doing what we say he should do? Do we have this accusation spirit or entitlement spirit to complain? Or do we honestly ask and seek, God, what are you trying to do? Do we do it as we see that they do here in verse 5? The response is that they pour their heart out in prayer for Peter. They're probably just as confused as we are. Things were going well. Now James is dead. Peter's in prison. Last time he got out, what's God going to do in this? It's a mega theme in Acts that they pray. And they pray in a sense of like, <laughs> we'll see, maybe they don't exactly expect Peter to get out, but they pray. They pour out their hearts to God and they're they are earnest in their prayer. And we can take a look at Peter. He is, <laughs> he is literally just sleeping in the prison. Um, he's sleeping, and then one comment says, he's sleeping like a baby between these two guards. And so I, at first I was thinking, well, maybe Peter's thinking, you know, if they kill me, I'll go to be with Jesus. Another comment says, well, well, he said this verse. He said, oh, that is small. Uh, he said to him a third time, Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter grieved, was grieved, and he said to him, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you would dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and go to another and another will address you and carry you to the way you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify him. And after this he said, follow me. So maybe in a, maybe he's just sleeping so great because he remembers, hey, I'm not going to die young. Like I'm going to die old because I believe Jesus' word. Um, but anyway, he's like really asleep. Um and then the angel comes and the angel actually physically has to hit him with force. Like I was reading the 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 word is like, it's like, it's not just, it's like, so, and so he kind of wakes up. He's all out. He doesn't know if this is real or not. And he goes out and, and it's not really until like he passes the last gate. He's like, oh, this is real. Um, and the, the angel has to like guide him through all of it. And he's like, oh, this is real. Maybe I should go tell Tell the other people. So it goes to John, uh, uh, Mark's mother's house, um, Mary's house. 
And then we have this very, very interesting exchange that he comes and he knocks and Rhoda opens the, she doesn't open the door because she's so joyful that Peter's there. And then they have a long discussion about whether it's Peter outside or his angel. And there's all sorts of things about that, but kind of ironic, kind of a very interesting, like, you're crazy, he's not out. And, and then Bob at the same very moment, they are praying for him. So I guess like for us <laughs> for us when we stop maybe laughing and 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 thinking about that situation is like do we actually believe that Jesus uh, that yeah God hears our prayers and that he's able to answer them especially like the impossible ones because is anything impossible with God Then something happens in Acts and we see what happens because Peter might have been freed but judgment is now going to happen. Because who's left in the jail? The soldiers are left. So they are terrified and trying, desperately trying to find Peter. Because they know in this time, if he's not found, they will get the punishment he was supposed to get. So in this case, we can see Peter was supposed to die. Because what happens? Herod, he does a thorough investigation. He talks to the he talks to the, the soldiers and they don't know where Peter is. So they take his place. So 16 people will get killed instead of Peter that was freed. And so at this point in time, you might be like, what? God saved one person and then, he, then 16 were killed? Like, why would God do that? So that does not prove that God is evil and like and that 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 is all God's fault, like these people die. Well, in this specific case, it's God is not killing them. Herod is. Herod doesn't have to kill them. He chooses to. Oh, but it must still be God's fault, you know, or else he can't be omniscient, he can't know everything. Well, we can always blame God for all sorts of things. But God did not kill them. It was still Herod that did it. And I think it's just another way to try to get out of what what is clearly shown. When we don't understand or when we excuse or deny God, it's mostly when we don't agree with what God does. And so maybe in this time we're especially skeptical when God judges but we can see this and we'll see that what he does to Herod as well. Judgment, judgment does come. And like when people have this view of God, it's also a disregard that God loves people way more than you do. And also the people that accuse God of not being a living. Did the accusers create these 16 soldiers? No, they didn't. Who is the one who owns all things? Knows all things. We continue and we see that Herod um, Agrippa, he goes to Caesarea, maybe chilling out and just going to the, to see to the vacation place. He gets in, he has a dispute with Sire and Tyre, Sire, Sidon and Tyre. I think if we go there, then we can see a little better. Uh, so Sidon and 
site on an entire he has a dispute with them and it's it's he has probably put in some uh, barricades for them to get food so they some people say they bribe or at least they get to one of his close advisors to come and stop doing that um and then we if you it's there in 20 like just see what happens like he he takes he takes the seat and has put all of his royal clothes and things and then he gives a speech and then some people say mocking and some other people say like um honestly people are like oh it's he's like a god and uh, being the total opposite he just takes it he takes the worship of the people and god takes his life he came from being suicidal because of his debt, being raised to prominence, but had in no point ever praised God for any of those things. And he also took God's worship. Okay, so what does that have to do with us today? Um, that's kind of what I was hinting at before. Why there was a, there was somebody asking, it was in my class. Uh, it was a non-believer that asked, "Why did humility become a virtue?" Because I'm in 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 Roman society, honor was all things. The greatest thing that could happen was, was if you are a great um, uh, if you were a great soldier and that you conquered a lot of things. The greatest thing you could get was a triumph. You would literally ride in a carriage through Rome and everybody would uh, praise you. Um, that was the greatest thing of honor. That was what all lived for. And without any any shame, people would put on, uh, at least the, the emperor would build huge monuments to themselves and also have plaques of all the things they've done to honor themselves. How is it going from that culture to going to have to have humility as an important thing? He, a non-believer, studied it and he looked at how the Christian re- Christians rela- reacted to the crucifixion. Christians believe that Jesus is the all-powerful God, but he chose in extreme humility to even be born in here as a baby, live a life without sin, and then although he had all power, he chose to be killed for the sins of others. The all-powerful being humble or humble himself. And he shows that, like I said before, to his disciples to do the same. That's the way, the, at least for some time, Europe had and other places where Christianity ruled would have, a, at least like theoretically, would have a very high view of humility. Not the fake kind where you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm so humble. No, where people's heart were really marked by Jesus and they would love God with all the heart, mind, soul and their neighbor as themselves. <clears throat> Maybe you're like me and you've seen a turn here. Because I've, I've said it like, I mean, I don't know, three, four, five years now. That it seems like we're turning back to Rome on a lot of things. It seems like now humility is more looked down upon, at least in some cases. 
I think we've seen it exposed with, exposed with social media where it's all about me. And my value becomes from you when you like me. When you uh, uh, press the like button or you, or you um, get to be my follower. And I'm seeking my own glory and honor in that. Some of those things... Some of those things are just, it, they don't last. How can you ever keep that up for a whole lifetime? How can, you, how can you value and worth be in how many people click liking? It's going to be terrible for you every night, every time you post something, you have to see your value, whether it goes up or down on how many clicks you get. But it's also the sense of like, oh, but if you got it, you have to show it. How many show pictures of things that even are even appropriate? Oh, but I worked so hard to show my body. Now everybody has to see it. I'm so smart. I have to show everybody I'm smart. Whatever it is, our society seems to have been been changing into I need to seek my own honor. Not saying that it has not happened all the time. But do we really want to go back to Rome? <laughs> what kind of society was Rome? And are we on the way back there? Or are we already way more there than we think we are? There's a girl in there's a girl in the UK. She's campaigning for her and other people to be able to be born. She's a girl who has or a lady, young lady who has Down syndrome. Because of the laws there and also the laws here, most people with Down syndrome don't get born. One statistic is that then in 2019, in Denmark, you had a 4% chance of being born if you were screened and they found that you had Down syndrome. That means that 96% of those children were unwanted. One of the things that Roman society was very, very known for was just throwing out babies that weren't wanted. What was marked... The Christians were, they took those kids and they raised them. Other places in Europe and other places in the world, you can get the state to kill you if you don't think you should live. If you don't feel well. Some, people, some will even provide the drugs for you. You can write to them. But in a society like that, in a society like a Roman one, What's going to happen to the old, the weak, the handicapped, women, children? The slogan that none of us want to hear is the one, unwanted or unavenged. Unfortunately, we've seen it too many times in history. When human beings have been turned into something that they shouldn't have been. Oh, they are not real people, so we can kill them. They're not real people. So we can get rid of them. So different with God. Jesus, he restated, asking, what is the, the 430 commandments in the law? So That's a lot of laws, like 10 commandments. Then he said, what's the, what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your high mind and soul. And your neighbor as yourself. It's never been about honoring yourself 
it was always about humbling ourselves so we can let God have the praise and glory. Your worth can never be achieved. No matter how hard you work, your identity can never be achieved. It's always given. And if you have to work for it, you can also lose it. But when we look at Jesus' death, life, and resurrection, and he's coming back, he's living to the glory of the Father, not for himself. Pride and wanting honor and, in this case, glory stealing. We do that when we think we're better than God. Not Maybe a lot of people will say, oh, I don't think I'm better than God. Well, yeah, that's actually what we do. Is like, well, I need the praise. God doesn't. And we see the judgment of God comes on, comes on Herod here. I know it's not like we talked about it many times, but it's not a public, it's not a popular subject. But we see it here again. God does judge. We've seen it through all the Old Testament and the New Testament. We saw it with Ananias and Sapphira. God's the same all the time. He's a loving God. There will be judgment. So if we keep stealing God's glory and don't repent from that. How are we different than Herod? And then you can make all these objections about God. Well, I don't think he should be a God. I don't like the notion of God. I don't like that God, he can do this and he does this. Well, I think it's, again, because you don't understand who God is. And I think that you make yourself out to be better than God. Because God loves people way more than you do. And I really don't think you are a better judge than God. Because I don't think you're going to <laughs> be, live a perfect life and die for other people. I don't think you've lived your own life for others. I don't think you gave yourself up to die because you had great love for the Father. You didn't live a life without sin and lay down your life so that we could receive reconciliation from God. Now Herod's pride pride cost him his life. So it just reminds us about pride is such an, is the one thing maybe we, most of us, most of us fight with. Whether it's the pride of I'm better than everybody else or whether it's the pride that I'm worse than everybody else. Understanding you're created in the image of God and that's where you get your value worth from. You're not better than everybody else and you're not worse than everybody else. In the cross of Christ, you could be saved and reconciled to God. Not because of how good you are or how bad you are. Both is a form of pride that aren't showing or aren't isn't letting God, is not letting the words of Jesus and who God is come in and work. That we can humble ourselves and repent and follow God because of what Jesus has done for us.
um, I was, uh, I think there's the one notion of like, there's a difference in between being thankful that God uses us and then being prideful. Like when God uses us, we can be thankful that he does. Like, oh, I got to share the gospel with somebody. I got to help some people out. And that's great. That's fantastic. It's good. But it doesn't have to rest on us. The true joy is when we worship God through that. God, thank you so much for letting me do that. And God can see our hearts. He knows whether our hearts are inflated with pride or within humility. Like, thank you, God, for using me. So it's not that it's not that we're humility is never about lowering yourself um, and thinking you're not worth anything. No, that's a false humility. Being humble is understanding who we are in Christ and living from that. Not thinking we're better, not thinking we're worse, but we are living for somebody else instead of ourselves. That's the difference between pride and humility. Are we thinking our own honor? Are we seeking the honor of Jesus? We have to look at our hearts. Our hearts hard? Are they are they ready to be molded? The interesting thing is we see this big contrast of pride and humility. We see the one who came from nothing to have, or to ruling a whole region to fall because of pride. Then we see these outcasts of society living humbly like their leader did and no one can stop them some of them are killed some of them are imprisoned but you can look at verse 24 but the word of the lord the word of god increased and multiplied totally different than herod not seeking their own honor but seeking the honor of god by worshiping Jesus. They lived humbly, pointing to the life of Jesus. So that's the questions for us, if we go to the questions, is what do you live for? Have you been caught up in this society where it's about your worth and value will be about what other people say about you? how well you do as a parent, how well you do as a student, how many friends you have virtually and live. What is it that you live for? Have you created some dream in in your head that God's not going to give you because that's not what he wanted to give you? What do you live your life for? Is it pointing to somebody else? Good one for all of us. What is the state of your heart? Is it humble or is it swelling with pride? Also, when people praise you for the good work you do, does that turn your heart into into worship God? Or does it make you feel better than others? The other mega theme is like, what do we do <laughs> when we don't know what to do? Or what do we do in crises? What do we do when we don't have a crisis? Do we pray? Do we have a heart to pray? 
do we believe God meets us in the times of prayer? And a challenging one, do we believe that there's nothing that's impossible for God as we bring things in prayer to him? (laughs) The last one, (laughs) is Jesus the greatest ever? Because of his extreme humility when he had all power. The thing that the historian said was the basis of why humility became actually a virtue in some places. That's what I got for us today. Um, you might be sitting out there and be like, I don't have any clue what you talk about. Um, I don't know what hum- I don't know what humility is. I'm not really sure what pride is. Um, not sure about who Jesus is. Um, and thank you, thank you for <laughs> thank you for following along for so long. Um, I think I think what I was trying to say today, maybe just shortly, is humility, true humility, is always going to trump um, pride and arrogance. And seeking your own honor. Um, Jesus shows us the true life, the life that ge- the life that totally gives me- meaning is living for somebody else, not oneself. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your struggles you're in. I don't know where you're at with all these things. And maybe it makes total sense. And I, I just ask that if it makes total sense, I'll like praise God, praise the Lord, like. Maybe you were convicted in some areas. Repent and, and follow Jesus. Continue to follow Jesus. But as I think I've stated a few times, the impossibility of the Roman society actually changing and falling apart and turning into a place where humility was something new and actually became a virtue. The one thing that succeeds through this, despite persecution, despite um being some of the members being killed is the new life in Jesus. The word of God continues to spread from those 12 to a billion or whatever it is today. The word of the God is not to be stopped. And you're like, I don't know what about these things. Well, I want to say it's, it's, it's available for you too. That's why, that's why it's so important. That's why it's so important. So encouraging. It's not it's not that any of us are here like I have done this perfectly. No, all of us struggle with this. All of us want to be our own gods. But I'm just saying there's a better way. There's a better way of repentance, turning around, saying, Okay, God, I'm not God, you are. And Jesus or God sent Jesus so you don't have to be God because you can't. Also so you actually have value worth and dignity and be reconciled to God so that on the day when you get judged for all the things you've done wrong, you don't have to stand in your own clothes, but you can stand in Jesus' clothes, in his righteousness, in his works. But that takes the hardest thing for the human heart. It takes humility to know that you are wrong and repent and apologize to God and ask him to save you. So, yeah. But let's pray together as we just close it out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and praise your name. 
And Lord God, it's so great. It's so amazing to think about. It's not about my performance. It's not about other people elevating me or us. It's about how you came humbly. And even before that, Lord, that you created people in your own image. That's why they have value, worth, and dignity. That in Christ we can be a new creation, restored to you. So, Lord, we thank you. We praise you. I pray for these things, Lord. Do you put these deep in our hearts, that in our hearts and minds, to understand those things? Help us to run to you in prayer. Help us to help us to have real humble hearts, not to pretend to be humble. But Lord Jesus, as we see you work, as we see your love for us, our hearts and minds would be humbled. So we love the Lord God with all heart, mind, and soul, and we will love our neighbor as ourselves. So Lord, we ask that you would do that, plan those things in us. Lord, pray for anybody out there just thinking, I don't know what the, all this stuff is. Like a Holy Spirit, I pray you meet them right where they are. They give their heart and mind to you and stop trying to find their own value and worth, but trust you for it. I pray for our, our brothers and sisters and everybody just wanting to live this life for you, Jesus. Pray there's no condemnation in this message. Because you're the one. You're the one who leads us to repentance. It's your goodness that does that. Illumine our hearts and minds and help us to praise you, Lord, with all the things that you do. And Help us to be humble enough to follow you, Jesus, into the things you have for us. It's for your honor and your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. And also, just as maybe you're getting up to receive the benediction, uh, like Abel said, if you have any comments or you want to participate with your family having a video or something, uh, you can write pastor at um, cornelia.tk and we will see if we can get them into um, the service next week. And you can also do that with with uh, if you want to share something in writing. You can also do that. We can bring that to you or if you have prayer requests as well. So uh let's let's um let's receive the benediction and we read from 2 Corinthians 13:14 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a blessed and encouraged week.